Hi there, it's Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be a part of this here program. Now, we must uh, move to other things, but to move to those things, I'm actually going to use Arlene, who's on the phone, uh, to talk about them. Arlene, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you, Eric. Doing well. And I wanted to add a fact to your great discussion about the Hispanic vote. And the mainstream media often overlooks the fact that there are around 45,000 Hispanic, evangelical Hispanic churches in the United States. And Reverend Sam Rodriguez, who heads the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, actually gave the invocation during the Trump inauguration. So mm-hmm. this this is an entity that is usually overlooked because they're Christians, they're conservatives, but they are making tremendous inroads in into our into our voting. They are, and it's something I think the Democrats don't pay much attention to because they buy the prevailing narrative of, of the mainstream media, which is, to a large degree has for a long time advanced the theory that demography is destiny. Arlene, thank you for raising that point because it, it's something I, I think a lot of people miss. And it, it, this gets somewhat to where I want to go. Um, but it, l- let me make this point. I actually had to research this when I was in college. Uh, in 1972, I think it was in the Washington Post, was the first time the after Richard Nixon's re-election was really the first time members of the press began to gravitate towards the idea that demography was destiny. And given at the time it was black voters, given the growth of black population in this country, that the Republicans would have harder and harder times winning across the country because of demography. Now, notice there's a, there is, if we're honest about it, a level of racism that the intellectual elite who posit the argument would not acknowledge. That is, your skin color determines who you vote for. When it comes to black voters, we should acknowledge there's some truth to that. For a lot of historic reasons in this country, black voters shifted to the Democratic Party. Now, I know that if you are a white person of a particular age, you're screaming in the spittle-fueled rage right now that they should be Republican, that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, that Martin Luther King Jr. was a Republican, Frederick Douglass was a Republican. Yes. And they love Dwight Eisenhower, a Republican. But historically in this country, it was John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Baines Johnson who advocated for and pushed the Civil Rights Act, voting rights reform, uh, desegregation of schools, and the Dixiecrat Democrats in the South did move towards the Republican Party over time on the issue of states' rights, not because, and this is something historians on the left miss, not because they wanted to hijack a party and move it to the right. It's that the Republican Party had really since... Uh, before FDR, the the Coolidge administration before, become a party that believed in the semi-sovereignty of the states. And so it was something 
the uh, Democrats turned Dixiecrats could gravitate towards, not because the Republicans changed their message to accommodate them, but because the Republicans already believed the states mattered. So when you had these heavy-handed federal programs come down on poverty and race and voting and then desegregation, it was natural these people would gravitate into a Republican Party that did not uh, embrace separate but equal, did not embrace racism, but did embrace the idea that the sovereignty of the states does matter in this country, ironically being the party of Lincoln. Lincoln himself, however, acknowledged the sovereignty of the states. Lincoln did not, when he was president, want the states to give up their sovereignty. And in fact, Lincoln was willing at the beginning of the Civil War to try to find some accommodation to southern states to be able to keep slavery and phase it out over time. Yes, true story. There's been this huge revisionism about what the Republican Party is, what it stands for, what it historically stood for. But at the same time, there's been intellectual revisionism among the left to think that, well, black voters historically vote for the Democratic Party. Therefore, all other non-white races will as well. We're starting to see a shift in Asian voters in this country towards the Republican Party because they're being punished by the Democrats. I saw some uh, academic institution last week had started referring to uh, non-white, non-Asian minorities. It's a new category, non-white, non-Asian minorities. Why? Because academically, in this country, Asian kids, particularly Chinese descent and Japanese descent and Korean descent, they tend to outperform all others. They tend to have the most stable family life. They tend to have the most engaged parents. They tend to have parents who set the highest standards. They tend to outperform all others. And as a result, more and more Democrats and progressives are treating them as white. Ironically, outside of Koreans, they tend to vote Democrat. Do you know demographically why? It's actually very interesting. They tend not to be deeply religious people. Koreans, on the other hand, are one of the largest growing segments of Republican voters in the country because they tend to be overwhelmingly evangelical. It's a a quirk of history. A Presbyterian missionary went to Pyongyang in the 1800s, was actually murdered uh, by the the people of uh, then Korea, Uh, but was able to throw Bibles at them as he was being murdered, and they read them, and many of them converted over time. And South Korea has the largest Presbyterian churches in the world. South Korea tends to be overwhelmingly religious, and even those who aren't Christian tend to be, and religious voters tend to be culturally conservative, and culturally conservative voters tend to vote Republican, as you're seeing with Hispanics. It's just an interesting quirk in history. Uh, But Asian voters at large are not, at least of Chinese Uh, Taiwanese, Japanese descent, and they've tended to be Democrat. And that's shifting too as the Democrats become hostile to their kids and education. And that's why Hispanic voters as well are shifting to the GOP, hostility and education among cultural claims. All of this I'm fascinated with because I have said for years, demography is only destiny if you want it to be. And so many people on the left and the right wanted demography to be destiny. There were a number of Republicans who for years opposed immigration largely because they did buy into the idea that Hispanic voters would vote Democrat. And yet Hispanic voters in this country are overwhelmingly beginning to vote Republican because when the Democratic Party is full 
of rich white Karens who believe that their boys can join girls' sports teams and go to the little girls' bathroom. Hispanic voters really don't like that. So there is a cultural clash that's happening. Now, all of these things we move on because there's something else happening as well. During the Trump administration, one of the most unique and interesting things about doing a radio program or any sort of news program during the Trump administration is that the headline in the afternoon could be completely different from the morning. Donald Trump could get on Twitter and tweet and change the whole thing, could change the narrative, change the conversation, change what people are talking about. It was a fascinating power of the president on Twitter. Joe Biden doesn't tweet. When Donald Trump was president, one of the frustrating parts about being in the media and having to take the State of the Union seriously is that nobody ever talks about this. Can, wait, can anybody say what Joe Biden's address to Congress was, what technically State of the Union? Nobody remembers. Barack Obama would give these glowing State of the Union speeches. The media would just be orgasmic about his speech. By the end of the week, they were talking about something else. Donald Trump actually had a couple of State of the Union speeches, including the one where he pointed out the family whose uh, kid had been killed by the MS-13 or whatever gang, had an amazing speech. It forced the Democrats on defense, but by the end of the week, President Trump had tweeted something ridiculous and the media had the excuse to move on from it. And the conversation changed. We went from, uh, I, I forget what, oh, we went from getting out of the Paris Accord and moving the Israeli embassy to a deal with North Korea, to no deal with North Korea, to a summit with North Korea, to killing Kasim Soleimani, uh, on and on and on every other week. And sometimes within a day, the news headlines change so quickly, it, it, it was hard for the press to pin President Trump down on anything. It was very hard for the press to go after Donald Trump on any one thing when the news media itself had to change topics constantly, sometimes within the middle of the day. There was more than one time where I was scheduled to be on TV during the Trump administration, and my topic at the end of the day was different from the beginning of the day. Some days I just got bumped because the headlines had changed to something and they needed a real expert on, and I wasn't a real expert on the topic. And then COVID hit. And Donald Trump could not change the topic. And the story drove on and then dragged on and on and on and on and on into the Biden administration, where the topic to this day still is COVID. And if not COVID, inflation and the economy. And Joe Biden does lacks Donald Trump's superpower of being able to change the headlines at will. COVID was kryptonite to Donald Trump's ability, and it has remained so with Joe Biden. He can't change the headlines, and the headlines are uniformly negative towards Biden, his performance, and his abilities. He was able to get out of Afghanistan, but all the only way he was able to get out of Afghanistan was resurgence of the virus and the economy, both of which are even worse. And the Afghanistan story uh, focused people's minds on Joe Biden and the idea that he was inept and uncaring. He lacked empathy. And now the inflation story, the COVID resurgence, all of that, it's more Biden lacks empathy and he's incompetent. Biden ran on being more empathetic than Donald Trump. And every news story since Afghanistan has reinforced that he's not. It's reinforced his uncaring nature. And that's a problem for the Democrats moving forward because yeah, there's, there's no jumping away. There's no 
There's no change. There, there, there's no way for the Democrats to change this news narrative. And just think about it. Going back to Trump, there was story after story after story after story after story after story after story. I mean, things would change in the middle of the day constantly. What you were talking about on Monday was completely different from Thursday, which was completely different from Saturday, which was completely different from the next Monday. The Sunday shows were in discombobulated mode all the time. I would be on Meet the Press regularly, and on Fridays, we would have this little get-together discussion on the phone of here's what we're going to be talking about on Sunday. And on Saturday, we'd have to have the phone call again say, Hey, wait a second. Donald Trump tweeted. We got to change it. We got to do this. I would go out to HBO to be on Bill Maher and we would have these, we would have this, this workup over the week leading up to the show of all the stuff Bill wanted to talk about on Friday night. And then I'd get out there on Friday. They're like, well, we had to scrap these topics because this happened and this is bigger. You don't have that with Joe Biden. You, you, that does not exist. The, the changing constant dynamics of the news narrative do not shift at all with Joe Biden. It is the economy. It is inflation. It is Afghanistan. It is COVID. Those are about the only four big stories out there right now. And it's really hard for Biden to get the upper hand on those stories. And that, in part, is what's dragging his poll numbers down, even among Democrats now. Fewer Democrats support Joe Biden than Republicans supported Donald Trump. It's a damning indictment on Joe Biden's ability to perform for the Democrats. It's going to have a deeply negative effect on him moving into the midterms. The Democrats have no way out of it. And part of the reason Democrats have no way out of it is because they don't know how to change the narrative in large part because they are so dominant in their views reflected in the media, and the media doesn't really see these as problems. Until now, it's starting to become a problem. All of the news networks are now realizing that there's devastating polling for Joe Biden and he's disconnected. It's becoming a deeply, deeply problematic thing that the media is suddenly realizing alarm bells are going off and, oh my gosh, Joe, you gotta do something or the Republicans are gonna win and we can't have that. It's probably too late though, why? Because anyone who's ever run in politics, anyone who's run a political campaign like I have knows. You get after Labor Day, the kids are going back to school. You got a little bit of time to settle in a narrative. And then you have Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, and that locks in your narrative. And the only way to shake up the political narrative after January is for major fundamentals to change. And it doesn't look like any of the major fundamentals are going to change. So Biden is stuck over the holidays with families getting together, talking about the state of things with a losing hand that he himself caused. Y'all, from the moment I sat in my X chair, my body said, this is what a real office chair is supposed to be like. I had, gosh, I had gone through office chairs and then I got my X chair and it is the perfect chair. In fact, my X chair, unlike your chair, can massage my back while I'm sitting doing three hours of talk radio. It can even heat up and cool down depending on my office, which tends to run hot in the summer and cold in the wintertime. And it's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed for the X-Chair. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic lumbar DVL, they call it, dynamic variable lumbar, your back's going to be happy. What I need you to do, you got to go check out the X-Chair because yeah, I bought the, y'all know the expensive brand and I bought it. It was a good chair. It actually was a really good chair. And X Chair takes it to the next level. What you need to do is go to xchaireric.com now. That's X, the letter X, chair, E R I C K.com or call 844 4X chair. 
for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's xchairerik, E-R-I-C-K, dot com. It is worth it. Hello there. It is me. It's Eric Erickson. I'm glad to have you with me. I hope you guys had a great weekend. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Y'all on the phones, stand by. I will get to you. I want to give you justice for your phone calls. I've been watching the Rittenhouse trial. The judge has thrown out the... um, uh, the the charge for possession of a dangerous firearm. And it turns out, and how many people in the media got this right, that Kyle Rittenhouse did not carry his AR across state lines. Actually got an AR in Wisconsin. That's just one of many things the media got wrong in reporting on this case. Now, that I, I need you to understand is actually a big deal because so much of the American media got so invested in a particular story. Andrew Sullivan on Friday had a had a big piece out about how so much of the media has gotten so much wrong over time. Uh, the media got wrong the uh, the Christopher Steele dossier. The media got wrong uh, what um, the then FBI director, what's his name, uh, was Comey was going to tell Congress. They got much of the uh, Rittenhouse story wrong. They got the Covington Catholic School stuff wrong uh, in the, in Kentucky. They've got so much wrong, and it's always been uh, of benefit to the left. Now, uh, a buddy of mine, Jonathan Last at the Bulwark, has a response to Andrew Sullivan that is not really true, that, for example, like the inflation and economy story, the mainstream outlets on the front pages have been highlighting this. And it got me thinking, you, you know what the problem is? I think they're both actually right. There is in the media uh, the voices they listen to and put on television. And it is those voices, those pundits and experts who the media across the board gives weight to, they're the ones who keep getting it wrong. So it's not the reporter per se, in some cases it is, but overwhelmingly it's the talking heads that the media relies on. Uh, Every network has a panel of talking heads. I used to be one. And the Democratic talking heads get disproportionate time to come on and speak uninterrupted to reflect the lay of the land. Many of them are now perceived as objective people, and they're really not. Uh, Oh, what's the guy now? John Harwood at CNN. John Harwood at CNN is one of their political analysts. He was at CNBC for a while. He is objectively a partisan of the left. Jeffrey Tubin, Tuggin Tubin. He is a partisan of the left who CNN allows on to be an objective commentator. And it is those people who disproportionately get to help shape media narratives, and those people are wrong. 70 Rule on NBC telling us that the dirty little secret is we got more money and inflation is really not that bad. She is not a progressive commentator. She's an anchor on MSNBC and chief economist, economic reporter for NBC. And she's of the left. And it is these people who help shape so much of the media narrative that causes the media overall to get things wrong. And until the media realizes that, yes, there is a problem, and it has a lot to do with who the prevailing bits of wisdom are for how they shape their stories, this problem isn't fixable for them. It's only going to get worse. Now, the right has a problem as well. 
I have to wade into dangerous territory with you guys. When we come back, Donald Trump, he wants to weigh in on 2022 in a way that could hurt the GOP. And the question is, do you want Trump or do you want Trump policies? Because you're going to have to pick sooner rather than you'd like. And now there's a sign he may not run in 2024, despite what he's saying. My goodness gracious, I, I want to get to Griffin, who's been waiting patiently on the phone. Real quick, though, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is wrapping up, and the DA uh, pointed uh, Kyle Rittenhouse's AR in the courtroom. What what are the, what are the two rules of handling guns? Don't point at people, and don't put your finger on the trigger, even if you know it's empty. Prosecutor broke both of those rules. Maybe he should have let Kyle Rittenhouse handle the gun for him because Kyle at least knew how to handle a gun. The prosecutor clearly does not. All right, uh, to the phones we go. Griffin, waiting patiently. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me today. Sure, thanks um, for being patient. I just, want to, I just want to make a statement about, you know, myself and my the way I look at things. You know, I'm a registered Democrat, uh, kind of like an inherited thing. You know, growing up in the South, you're black. They generally push you in the Democratic direction. But I like Trump, you know, and I and I like Trump policies. But I have to admit, I did not vote for Trump his second term because I saw the country going backwards as far as race relations were concerned. You know, and um, you know, and especially being on the uh, darker side of things and on the bad end of that 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 stick, should I say? You know, I couldn't allow for that to happen. I saw a cult-like following starting to happen with Trump. And I did say, I felt like, even though I thought the policies were good, I saw the good that was going on. I saw the economy doing things. It's the race relations thing that was drawn up defined that, that became, that the line started becoming very defined. So that's the only reason I did not vote for him. Now, as far as moving forward, I like the policies, but... You know, and I like I like how he shoots on the hip too. That was the right. one thing I liked about Trump. You know, and um, but you know, as far as race relations, he was bad for the country. As far as that is concerned, you know. Um, but you know, I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I, I'm tired. I'm tired of I'm tired of the whole political party thing. Uh, I didn't want to get that out here, man. L- listen, uh, Griffin, you, you're thing, probably man. speaking for ninety percent of people when you say you're tired of the current political. Uh, the political parties that they're they're both train wrecks and pandering to their bases. Listen, thank you very much for taking the time. I, I noticed I, I didn't want to interrupt Griffin. I wanted to let him have his say because I I, I I wanted him and he did. I, I I didn't know for sure where he was going, but he said he liked a lot of Trump's policies, but he didn't like the man. This is something that that Republicans are going to have to deal with. When you have someone like Griffin who calls my show, who is a black American who liked Trump's policies but didn't vote for him because he didn't, he thought Trump was bad for race relations. In fairness, you do have to recognize that the Democrats and the media do try to overplay this thing to stir the pot and divide. But also, you need to realize that there was a level of tone deafness to a degree with Donald Trump. But Griffin, who was black and did not vote for Donald Trump in 2020, says he liked. Donald Trump's policies. And therein it lies the rub for the GOP moving forward. I think the GOP is going to have to decide, do we want Trump or his policies? President Trump has decided to weigh in more heavily in the 2022 primaries. And there are a couple of Republicans who hold districts that lean Democrat. 
and they have held them by being moderate, reasonable Republicans, and Democratic voters have voted for them because the alternative was a very progressive Democrat. Donald Trump wants to beat some of them, uh, some because they voted for uh, the uh, infrastructure bill, some because they've criticized Trump, and I think the GOP as a whole is going to have to realize something that I had to one day realize as a conservative activist, that there are some districts and some states where a hardcore conservative can't get elected. Uh, And I would rather a more moderate Republican than a progressive who's going to hand the Congress over to the Democrats. And the GOP is going to have to do the math on this. Republican voters are going to have to realize this. And I don't think they're, they're going to because people are driven by their passions and emotions. But there is a sign that Donald Trump may not be running again even as he says he won't make it clear until after 2022. Now, he can't make it clear. This is part of politics, just the reality of the situation. It's not not insulting. President Trump has to maintain uh, the appearance of running in 2024 to have a lot of clout in 2022. He has grievances, including against my governor, Brian Kemp, here in Georgia, uh, and he's trying to find candidates to run against these people. He wants payback. For uh, he doesn't think there was sufficient loyalty, there was criticism, they didn't do enough to stop what he perceives as election fraud, you name it. Uh, He wants payback with a variety of candidates. And if he says he's not running again in 2024, the focus is no longer going to be on him, but on those who might run in 2024. Changes the whole dynamic. There is no reason for him to say anything until after 2022. And even then, there's really no reason for him to say anything because the the does he run or not keeps him at the forefront of the conversation. It benefits him whether he does or not. But here's the thing. The Trump family is divesting itself of the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. It's going to become a Waldorf Astoria, part of the Hilton family. They sold it to a group out of Miami, and they're going to use the the Waldorf name, which is great. I love the Waldorf family. A story. I, I tend to stay there in Atlanta these days. I used to not. I used to stay at uh, hotels that weren't as pricey, but now with the way Buckhead in Atlanta has gotten so crime-ridden at night, I tend to stay at the, the Waldorf because it tends to be safer than most of the hotels I would normally stay at. The Waldorf's a nice hotel chain, but the Trump Hotel was kind of a gathering place for Trump supporters. By divesting their name, by getting rid of the Trump Hotel in Washington, That's kind of a signal to a lot of people that the family might be moving on. Now, whether it is or not, it's up to you to decide. But the Trump Hotel was a base of operations for Trump people. You know, back in the day when Trump was president, that's where everybody stayed. If you were among the cool kids or the Republicans that you stayed at the Trump Hotel, you had all your your functions at the Trump Hotel. You you went to eat out. You took date night at the Trump Hotel. All of this stuff, it it was very fraternity, sorority-like. I was never really, I've, I've never been that comfortable with the whole tribalism uh, of even my own party, even during the days of Trump. And I would go to meetings at the Trump Hotel and I never actually stayed there. I would stay at a, stay at a different, I have a particular hotel I like to stay at. I will not tell you which one it is because I like to stay there a lot. Uh, and I haven't been to Washington in a while, so there doesn't really matter. But nonetheless, it was it was the hub of, of Trump operations. And now the family's selling it. And that's raising the prospect of maybe he's not going to run in 2024. Here's what I think. Uh, He is polling ahead of Joe Biden right now in a lot of swing states, and that has the Democrats in panic. But this is a a short-term polling issue and a longer-term problem. The Republican Party, if they embrace the policies of Donald Trump without Donald Trump, would get people like Griffin, black cultural conservative who tends to vote Democrat by inheritance and legacy, 
who realizes it's less and less his home, but didn't particularly like Donald Trump. Because you get a Ron DeSantis. You know, majority of black men in Florida voted for Ron DeSantis against uh, a black candidate who was his opponent. People ignore that fact. It was like a 51-49 race or 50.5 to 49.5 race, something like that, or 48 point somewhere. In the, it, was, it was less than a percent, basically. And DeSantis won. And he won because of the young black men and Hispanic voters joining him. Now, that's pretty striking. And it shows that younger generations of black voters and every generation of Hispanic voters up for grabs if you have a candidate with policies that are more probably, frankly, to Donald Trump's liking than, than I may be comfortable with in some cases. Uh, the protectionism, I, I'm, I'm more of a free trade guy than, than Donald Trump ever was. But it's okay. Everybody's got to compromise in the coalition to keep the progressives out. And progressives are doing their best to drive everyone to the GOP. Now, there's a problem. There's a corollary problem here with the Democrats. Uh, quick, 2024, Donald Trump doesn't run. Who are you going to vote for? Donald Trump doesn't run in 2024, hypothetically. Who are you going to vote for? All of you have a name. Every, every one of you, if you're on the right, you have a name. Is it Ron DeSantis? A lot of people. Mike Pence, some of you. Nikki Haley, some of you. Tom Cotton, a few of you. Josh Hawley, a few of you. Doug Ducey, a few of you. Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, everybody has 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 somebody. Haley, DeSantis, and Hawley, I think, are probably the three in Pence. Are, are right up there, the, the four of them. Pence polls fairly well without Trump there. DeSantis polls better than everybody. Haley and Hawley poll, poll okay. Actually, the last poll I saw actually had Hawley doing pretty badly, but I think he's got more than that poll suggested. But you can name somebody. Quick, Democrats, Joe Biden doesn't run. Who are you going to run? Who are you going to vote for? Uh, Kamala? Some of you will. Pete Buttigieg, some of you will. Elizabeth Warren, some of you will. That's not a deep bench. Elizabeth Warren is not very popular in her home state. She couldn't go the distance. She's old. Kamala Harris is a disaster for the Democrats. It's what you get when you pick an intersectional pick uh, without any experience or gravitas. Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg uh, scratches an itch for Democrats who want a gay man to run for president, but he is spectacularly unaccomplished. The only reason that Pete Buttigieg has a following is because progressives in the media like him. He's otherwise a mayor a mayor who became transportation secretary and and is so powerful and influential and important that he could leave for two months and no one noticed that. That's not presidential material. The Democrats don't have a bench. The Democrats lost in 2010. The Democrats lost in 2012 except the presidency. The Democrats lost in 2014. The Democrats lost in 2016. The Democrats won in 2018, but then they lost in 2020. A number of those who won in 2018 lost in 2020. And they're going to lose in 2022. That That's just, listen, uh, I, I, you don't have to be Notre Dame 
to understand where the water is, where, where, where the lay of the land for 2022, it's not good for the Democrats. So they've only had one, really one election in the last decade where they put real points on the board. They don't have a bench. The, the, the governors that they have are governors in states that are too far to the left to connect to people in red states and swing states. Gavin Newsom is not going to win a state like Georgia. Stacey Abrams probably isn't going to win a state like Georgia. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan is not going to win a Florida or a Georgia. Probably not even a Colorado. So what is the Democratic bench? Uh, Kamala Harris cannot make it out of a Democratic primary in 2020. Could she, the sitting vice president, make it out in 2024? Maybe with Joe Biden's help, but would he help her? Barack Obama didn't help Joe. That's the problem the Democrats have right now. They don't have a bench. The Republicans won in 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016, and 2020. 2018 is the only time they, they lost. In 2012, yes, Mitt Romney lost, but the Republicans actually did pretty good in Senate seats, and they did pretty good in state legislative and, and gubernatorial seats in 2012. There wasn't a, a huge uh, backlash. Mitt Romney got more Republicans elected than himself in 2012. You can't look at the presidential race. You got to look at the underlying ones. When you get to 20, when you get to, um, what was it? Uh, 2010, I think it was. The Republican win was so big and so deep nationally that you got to go back to the 1800s to find sweeps that big. It's very bad lay of the land for the Democrats headed into 2022 and 2024. They don't have a bench moving forward, and they're going to have to rebuild their bench. But to rebuild their bench, instead of complaining about the illegitimacy of the Senate and complaining about the illegitimacy of the filibuster and complaining about uh, Republican gerrymandering, they've got to actually win some freaking elections. And Democrats have gotten very good at screaming and delegitimizing institutions and very bad at winning elections. Now, I want you guys to get good at saving some money on your power bills because, you know, the energy rates are going up. I just bought stock in a natural gas company the other day, and it's it's all of a sudden going up as, as people contemplate the cold winter. Uh, you can save some money with the Eden Pure Gen 40 heater. It is a heater and a cooler. It, it's got a fan. So it's got a good heating element and a great fan with it. And so it can heat up a room of 1,000 square feet and is highly efficient. So I want you to check it out. Right now, you can get $20 off their lowest sale price. And you can do so by using the discount code Eric Heater at the site, EdenPureDeals.com. You get free shipping, $20 off. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you'll see my name on the front page, Eric Erickson. You click through and you get the Eden Pure Gen 40 heater. And at, at checkout, you'll see a discount code box. You put in Eric Heater, E-R-I-C-K, heater, all one word, no space. You'll get $20 off their lowest sale price. You will get free shipping. You will get a heater that you can use during the summer as a fan. You, you can keep the heating element off. You can use it as a fan and circulate the air. But it works great, uh, particularly indoors. I have taken it on my front porch on cold nights and pointed it at people who needed a little extra heat, and it's worked well there as well. Uh, but it's way better in an enclosed space. I've been getting that question. I do do it, but it works great in an enclosed space. EdenPureDeals.com. Your discount code is Eric Heater. 
Great, googly boogly. This this happened a short time ago. Let me make sure I'm routing my sound right for my computer so you can hear this. This is the prosecutor's closing argument in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Oh, now of course the whole thing freezes. Let's let's reset this. This is you you gotta hear this. You've got to hear this. This is crazy. Perfect knowledge. When they're told that person running up the street just shot someone. We don't have time in the moment to go back and take a look at the body and replay the video and make a decision before going after the person with the gun. You know, we've had several police officers testify that in an active shooter situation, their first instinct, their first training is to go in and stop the threat. They don't sit there and wonder, well, maybe it was self-defense. I don't know. I'm going to, you know, let, wait and see. And every day we read about heroes that stop active shooters. That's what was going on here. And that crowd was right. And that crowd was full of heroes. That crowd did something that, honestly, I'm not sure I would have had the courage to do. If I see a guy running up the street with an AR-15 and I hear he just shot somebody. In other words, the people burning down Kenosha, Wisconsin, the Antifa rioters, they are the crowd full of heroes. Really, he went there. They are the crowd full of heroes. No, actually, they are the crowd that this prosecutor and much of local government officials decided to let run rampant on the small businesses of Kenosha, Wisconsin, burning them to the ground. And Kyle Rittenhouse was someone incensed by it and incensed by the lack of support for the local police, and he decided to go help. I don't think he should have done it. I don't think he should have. He wasn't from there, although his his dad's family lives there. His, his dad, his aunts and uncles and grandparents live there. He doesn't. I don't think he should have, but I think that's irrelevant. He saw law enforcement unable to keep the peace where his dad lives, and he decided to go help try to keep the peace. In fact, at one point, as a building burned, he went to try to help put out the fire. Now, we can quibble with with the, the woulda, coulda, shoulda, but the fact of the matter is, you, you see the videos, you hear the statements of the people in this trial, he was engaged in self-defense. He went to try to help. He did not have a right to be beaten with a skateboard or gunned down himself. He had the right to defend himself as he was trying to help the city. Uh, this whole prosecution, I think, was misguided. I, I, I don't know how it will turn out. I, I think he should be found uh, innocent on the self-defense charge. I think he should. I don't think he committed murder. I think he was defending himself. We'll see how screwed up the judicial system is. But my goodness, you get the sense the left knows he's going to be found not guilty because of how enraged they are by the judge. It's just striking to me how enraged they are by this judge. And all the judge has done is ensure that there is a fair trial uh, and tempered the prosecution, which is what the left for years has wanted. Uh, anyone who looks at this can realize just how out of hand local DAs can get when they're ambitious politicians who want to run for higher office. And this seems to be an example of that. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. 
First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 